Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers. Today's episode is generously underwritten by Scott and Karen Love to shine the light on process engineers and the work they do to positively impact society. I'm your host, Bob Norp. Process engineering is at the heart of our discipline. Mapping out and building safe methods for facilitating the formation of chemicals is foundational to everything we do in chemical engineering. And it's no wonder that good process engineers are highly prized within the chemical industry. So for today's show, we begin a series of episodes to focus on process engineering with a few of our most valued, experienced, and knowledgeable members. Up first, we have Beth Ballard. Beth spent 40 years in the petrochemical and chemical industries at a number of firms, recently retiring from her position at Ecolab, where she was their global supply chain vice president of engineering. Beth, welcome. Thank you. Now, also with us, we welcome Monica Wilson. Monica spent over 30 years in process engineering, recently retiring from Axo Nobel, where she concluded her career. And now she's running for a seat on our city council in Parma, Ohio. So thanks for being here, Monica. How are you? <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm doing great. So let's start at the beginning. And I'm going to start with you, Monica, since I just talked to you. Um, and then we can go around to um, let everyone speak. But wh- why chemical engineering? Why process engineering in particular? Why did, why did you choose this career path for yourself? Well, started off in high school. Uh, I became part of a program called Detroit Area Pre-College Engineering Program designed to get underrepresented populations into engineering. And those populations are people of color, women, and low wealth. And it was a pretty intensive program. You went to one program per, per semester. It was six weeks long, every Saturday from nine to three nine in the morning to three o'clock in the, in, in the afternoon. And um, there I was exposed to electrical engineering, physics, you know, a lot, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, subjects. And I decided to choose chemical engineering because it was versatile. You could go into law school, you could go into medical school, you could go into industry and, you know, being, being 17, um, I, I liked the options just in case, you know, I wanted to go in another direction. I started co-oping when I went to university. I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, and I started co-oping at Union Carbide in Charleston, West Virginia, every summer starting my junior year. And I found that I liked chemical engineering. I was in the lab first, and then I went to the large-scale pilot plant, and um, they offered me a position, a full-time position when I graduated, and that's where I wanted to stay. The reason I liked process engineering is because you had to have skill sets in um, uh, many areas, and you built skill sets in many areas, process safety, quality, um, uh, uh, engineering, project engineering, project management, uh, and, and even statistical modeling and mathematics um, so it, 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 it gave me a, a career path or a choice of many career paths um, it's if I chose to go in that direction. So that's how I ended up going into chemical engineering and process engineering. That's fascinating the way you put that, the, that it gave you so many options. It gave you so many career choices. Um, 
that's something I guess a lot of people wouldn't necessarily consider when they were um, choosing a career path in engineering, that it would give you so many opportunities in medicine and other fields that don't seem naturally related, but they are because it's so much a part of the same thing. Beth, what about you? What, what's your story? How did you choose to be a process engineer and get involved in the chemical uh, engineering sector? Okay, Monica was making me laugh when she was talking because mine's not that different than hers, um, <laughs> including, including the company I went to work for right out of college <laughs> with 40 years. So I am sure at some point we've crossed paths at work. But um, I went to, believe it or not, I've, I've been in a science nerd my whole life, and I went to engineering camp at Purdue University. And up till then, I had always wanted to go somewhere else. And to college, I wanted to go to either MIT or I wanted to go to William & Mary, which has no engineering school. After engineering camp my junior year, it was clear I wanted to be a chemical engineer for one. And two, just like Monica said, boy, it opened a world of options, whether you wanted, like she said, med school or you wanted to go on to law school. And my dad had been a lawyer before he passed away. And, and it was like just option city, you felt like. So I applied to Purdue before I finished my junior year in high school and was accepted and went there and loved it, right? Just loved it. It was, it was quite clear I was designed to be an engineer. And right out of college, just like Monica did, I went to work for Union Carbide in the engineering department. I was in one of the tech departments and did a lot of work with the large-scale pilot plant. So very interesting. And for me, I have bounced around from a lot of the places in my career. She talked a little bit about, you know, you could go in process safety. I've been director of process safety somewhere. You can cost estimating finance. I've done some work in the finance area and program management and engineering management, stuff like that. So you, you can actually use it and apply and go in and come back out. And it just makes you a stronger process engineer. There is no downside to process engineering, except for it's a challenge. You better actually like science because if you're not good at it, everybody will know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. If you don't know your science, you're in trouble. Um, let me let me stop for a second and back up because we have a lot of students who are listeners and maybe you guys can provide us a little context about what process engineering is exactly and how it fits in the bigger picture of chemical engineering as a whole to give people some perspective on what exactly you did for your entire careers. Monica, you want to go first? And I was just thinking, Beth, you want to go? <laughs> Nobody first. wants to take this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah process engineering is is the is the engineer who works um, uh, either in manufacturing or, in my case, I uh, fill that gap between research and development and manufacturing to design the methods for making the prof, uh, product. And I mean, I say design the methods, that means uh, the, the recipe and how it uh, gets into the reactor vessel, how it's um, 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 reacted, and then how you get it out of the reactor. Um, and you also uh, determine um, what is the best method. You optimize based on cost, based on safety, based on whatever challenge is in front of you. So that means you have to understand uh, the pumps and the pipes and the reactor itself. Um, when a new product comes into the plant, you're the person that brings it into the plant. Uh, so that means you have to know project uh, engineering because that's always a big, big pro project and you learn it on the job. Uh, you might do the PLC, which is a pro program uh, 
logical computer, you might uh, have to um, com um, um, program that uh, to, to make the products in the, in the reactor. So you are the go-to person for the methods uh, for making that product, for ensuring that you are making it correctly, for making it safely, and for it hitting the targets, and for it being optimized uh, within the plant. Yeah, like and to, to build Beth. a little bit on what she was saying, you see process engineers, they're all the way from conceptual design, like she said, I worked in a pilot plant, that is conceptual design, to I'm designing a physical plant that's going to run and make something, to I'm going to actually run that plant and make what we were supposed to make, to I'm on the maintenance team in the process engineering role and I'm helping maintain the asset at the lowest cost in the safest way, all the way to, uh-oh, something bad happened and now we have to troubleshoot it and figure it out. Process engineers work in all of those. And with, like we said, uh, we branch out sometimes. And I've done some work in finance because I like understanding how, how money hits the P&L, to be honest. But much like she talked about, it'll apply almost everywhere. You can find a process engineer in almost any application anywhere, including the business. And in my last company with Ecolab, we actually design things for our customers, right? So you get to see customers if you like that kind of thing and see another people's equipment. It's a very, very interesting career. I yeah, thought. it sounds like it. I mean, it sounds really fascinating, uh, all the dips and turns and uh, little avenues that you can go down in this career. Let me let me change gears here, though. Um, there's no doubt that all of engineering has a long history of being white male dominated. Um, this is true from the education stage on through. So luckily, there's been a big movement in this over the years. Um, you know, hopefully a little bit of incremental, incrementally getting better. But what was it like for you guys when you started out in the business? And how did it change over the years? Uh, any advice for young women entering the chemical engineering field today that you learned from your struggles or you know, challenges that you experienced? Uh, maybe, Beth, you could go first. Sure. So um, first of all, for me personally, diversity and inclusion has been a passion since the beginning of my career, right? It, it just was. And so um, as a young engineer, I remember going in, it didn't matter what meeting you went into. If you were a girl, and it was girl back then, not woman, um, <laughs> you were going to be asked to take the notes and you might even be asked to get the coffee. And so what I'm going to say is when that kind of stuff happens, you can get all pissy about it or you can figure out how to turn it to your advantage. And I can't tell you how many meetings I took the notes at that said exactly what I wanted them to say and my decision won. So when something like that happens, decide how you're going to handle it and then do it that way. And then over your career, over time, what you have to, what you see changes. And so, um, one of my most recent ones, and I, I can't talk about it, but it was actually a vice president who was blatantly being inappropriate. And we ended up having a complaint and the person no longer works at the company. So it, it, you just, where are you willing to throw yourself into that discussion and fight? And how are you willing to do it? Because you will run into it. And, and Monica, I don't know it's different in the pilot plant or the plant than it is in the engineering space, but it's always there and it'll still be there in 10 more years. But our job, I always felt like my job was to make it as inclusive as I could possibly do it. But in that context, I expect everyone who's working for me to be competent. I'm not going to hire somebody who's not competent. That doesn't help anybody. Right. And so 
each person's going to have to think about it. What are they going to do? What are they going to do when they're confronted with it? I can tell you a 25-year-old engineer is going to treat it differently than I did. Uh, but at the VP level, I have a much more big voice, I would say. And you find, I, I mean, I, I hate to say this, I did quit my job once after a really unpleasant situation at work. And the next hour, my boss's boss called me, asked me to stay, and ended up demoting my boss, putting me in his position, and he worked for me. Oh, wow. Wow. That's you a want that's hard though, because you have to be the big person. I am not gonna treat someone poorly and I am not gonna not give them an opportunity. You have to show you're a better person. And I know that sounds wrong, but I, I truly feel like in our leadership kind of roles, Monica and mine, for as long as we've been experienced in our, our process, people are always gonna look to us. And one of the things I heard from a diversity and inclusion leadership person at the Healing for Racism, um, was no one person represents a whole group. So I'm representing all women and Monica's not representing all women. But sometimes people do look at us that way. So we always have to represent the best. And nobody can do that all the time. So give yourself some slack, but try and do your best. Uh, Monica, anything to add? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. That was great, Beth. That's a great summary. I, I, yeah, so I, I, came out, I came out of school um, pretty naive, uh, 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 yeah. to the um, resistance and pushback. Now, I have to say, you know, I, I was uh, part of um, the, it, it was called the um, Black Engineer Society. And so they prep you mentally for, you're going to get pushback, you're going to get pushback. But when I got out there, it was far greater than I ever uh, realized. And And the pushback being, I had to constantly explain what I was doing and demonstrate that I knew what I was doing. And quite honestly, that kind of stayed with me all the way through my career. Um, uh, but, um, and, and, and in the case of um, my first job, I, I, when I was in the research center, it was, it was pretty nice. Um, I had a nice uh, crew. I had a nice team I was working with. When I transferred to the plant, I ran into some extreme difficulties to the point where I ended up having to leave. And I was in West Virginia, so I moved. I took a position up here where I am now in uh, the Cleveland, Ohio area. And um, things did get a lot better. Um, it was uh, more diverse and uh, the, the team was more accepting. I did go back into research and development, but even in the manufacturing plant, it was a lot more accepting. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the, there, there were some major challenges. Um, I did expect to be there to be more women um, as I proceeded through my career, uh, but uh, sadly, there just did not seem to be a lot of women coming uh, through. So I don't, I don't know what that means, but it, it, it just seemed to have not caught on. Uh, so, so um, you know, the, the, that's 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 my experience. Yeah. There's more now, though. I think, it, in, you know, like I, my team, when we took pictures at the end of the years, when we can, it's it looks like a, a patchwork quilt. I mean, there are. It's global team, so they're all colors, they're all sexes, they're all sexual orientations, they're all diversity, and you know that's everything from China to Brazil to black to female to you know LGBTQ to you know it's much 
better now than it was. It's still not even close to where it should be. And, and I, you know, Bob, I hate to say this, but I really question the competency of leadership that doesn't want to include 50% of the population for women. And I don't know what it is, uh, 17 or 18% for black. Really? You're so awesome that you think only 30% of the people need to be included as options for your jobs? Boy, your competition's going to kick someone's butt with that, right? I mean, it's just... Some of the the people I've seen, women, are the strongest, best performers ever. Not that some of the men are too, but it it, it shocks me from the business perspective. They just don't want to think about it because it's hard or it's confusing or I have to pay attention to someone who maybe looks different than me. And right? From, I can tell you, we're all engineers. From previous, I think Beth, I think you really had a good experience in the diversity area. Unfortunately, my company. I, I was I was the uh, only female on my team uh, yeah. when I left. I was the only uh, yeah. person of color on my team when I left. So I have not had the experience of um, uh, diversity within my team. Now, the chemist, I work with a lot of chemists. That seems to be a lot more diverse. Yeah. But within the engineering area, unfortunately, I haven't had the experience. As we've, Someone, learned, as we've learned from previous shows, too, it begins at the educational level. I mean, at the educational yeah. level, it's not being inclusive. It's not accommodating to people of color. It's not accommodating to women. It, 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 and it has improved over the years, but it still has a long way to go. Let me, let me ask you guys, I mean, since we're talking about, you know, mentorship and education, I mean, who were your career mentors and what advice did they offer that you still use today? And um, what are you doing, if you can extend this question a little bit, what are you doing and what have you done to mentor other people uh, of color and people, women in general um, on how to navigate the, the pitfalls of this industry? You know, it's interesting. You keep using the word mentor and I truly believe, based on watching what happened to myself, you can't do it with a mentor. You need a champion. Oh, wow. And a champion has to be somebody who has the power to make speak up when you're not there, when your boss is mistreating you, to, you know. And that first champion that switched my boss and me, it was the first time I was exposed to that. And I, the man has long since passed away, but how he was smart enough to decide he was going to champion women and minorities, I don't know. But if you didn't have him, and, and Monica and I worked at the same place, I can tell you, if you didn't have him, you weren't going anywhere. She's 100% not making up what would have happened to her because I had the same experience, right? I just got lucky. I got a champion on my third job. And his best advice he ever gave me, I thought, and I thought it was very interesting, don't think you're indispensable, a company is like a bucket of water. You're a hand. Stick it in the bucket. Everyone fills in. You're useful in your value add. Take the hand out. The level goes down a teeny little bit, but it fills in. And companies don't care. People care. And so that I've kind of made it my thing. I, w- I went into management at like 28 or 29. I am going to be fair. I am going to be inclusive. And I am going to fight that fight. And I'm a dual income couple. So if I have to quit my job or I have to make a big stink, I can do it because my husband can support our family. Not everyone's that, but that was one of my decisions early in my life. And I've been able to live it 
after I turned about 30. So. And Monica, what are your thoughts? I like that idea of a champion. I, I had both a mentor and a champion. They were two separate people. Um, my yeah. mentor was, um, well, he was a um, an African-American uh, manager who went to Southern University with Lou Brock, he likes to tell you that. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, he was the HR manager at Union Carbide. And so he not only hired me into the position, but he uh, gave me specific advice as to how to interact, what to ignore, uh, what to let go, and um, um, how to um, um, champion yourself. Uh, but when I, I ended up leaving Union Carbide, I still stayed in touch with him. I, I moved into uh, ICI. It was a former ICI Paints. Uh, the champion was uh, the, the head of the business. And um, before I got there, apparently the culture was pretty much who you know. And between him and, and the other directors, they really worked hard to create uh, an atmosphere of, of productivity based on uh, your, your knowledge and uh, your accomplishments. And so the people that uh, got picked to um, move up and, and have, um, um, you know, a career path were people that they thought were doing very well. And so this champion uh, spotted me and put me in the position of managing uh, a pilot plant because I went to another pilot plant in research and development. And not only that, that's he opened up the global. So then, you know, I was told, hey, you can if you can. Uh, put a process in here on Ohio, surely you can put it in Brazil. And then that it, that opened up Brazil, Bangkok, Thailand, Istanbul. It opened up an entirely new uh, career path. And uh, he made way, he made sure that people uh, accepted me wherever I went. So I did not run into any issues of being accepted, of being heard. And I was very much a part of the team. And that's how the champion uh, made, made the way for us in touch with him. He lives in Toledo. I'm going up to play golf with him now. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. How are you, how are you taking that, that champion idea and applying it in your own lives with other people who are coming up underneath you? Um, how, how have you, how have you done that for other people? And how do you recommend that people out there take a take your your lead, if you will, and maybe mentor or champion other people within the business? Well, I had an opportunity to manage a product regulatory and safety while I was managing uh, my pilot plant, and I just made it a point to hire a few women. I just, I decided to do that. And um, once I hired them into the position, I worked with them closely. And now one of the women from the product regulatory staff is the business manager for North America at AXO for uh, for, uh, the product safety and toxicology. Um, Another uh, woman who was on the team is now um, the supply chain uh, comptroller uh, for North America. And another, uh, the engineer that I mentored is a director out in California. She ended up leaving AXO on the bill to uh, go out to California to join the IT uh, community, and now she's a director. So uh, the path that I chose was I specifically hired women, and I worked closely with them in their career decisions. And Beth, what, what, what kind of experience did you have? Yeah, so Monica is 100% correct on that. 
you need to, when you have the opportunity to hire someone, consider all the candidates and, and bias towards competent women or diversity candidates. The one thing I found really helpful, I still mentor people that I knew from 40 years ago. I mean, I literally around the globe, I probably mentor still about 40 different people, but uh, be honest with them when there's something that's tripping them up. Right. And I champion some of the ones where I can within the supply chain or things that, that work. But if they're doing something that's that's hurting their career path or their, you know, and it, some of the ones I remember early in my career, there was some people that really they wanted to work about six or seven hours a day. They every time their kid was sick, they left. And I said, that's OK. You know, work life balance is fine. But don't expect you to be the candidate that's competitive with someone else doing the same work, but working a 10 hour day. And that's just a plain old reality back then. It's different now with people commuting from home and you can do a lot more work at home, things like that. But be honest with them and help them understand if they're a bad public speaker, help them understand that. How do you be concise? What's your elevator speech? You know, why do you want to do that? When might you have that opportunity? That kind of thing. And and mm-hmm. I think it's helpful for people to know that. And, and 100% agree with Monica. You got to champion them and help them as they go forward when you have the opportunity. Now you're you're both retired now, so last question for you both. <laughs> I wanted to ask why. I know that Monica is running for city council, so we know that about her. But what, what's next for you guys? How do you take these years of engineering experience and apply them to the next chapters of your life? Probably start so with. I'm, Mar- I'm actually doing still doing diversity and inclusion, but I'm doing it in the private sector with like the Center for Healing Racism. And I'm up in Minnesota in the summertime. My old CEO is doing a bunch of work with police reform and uh, inner city. How do you help kids get computer skills and things like that when they may not have access to it at home? I'm doing some of those kind of things. I'm still mentoring people. And occasionally, if there's a project that catches my eye, I I call it pro bono because I don't expect to be paid for it. But I'll do work in that space that is of interest to me that will help someone else get some exposure or something like that. And I've only been retired for three months, so who knows what it'll be <laughs> next year. But, you know, and I'm also trying to lose that ubiquitous 20 pounds that everyone has. <laughs> uh, no comment there. Um, Monica, what, what about you? Yeah. So um, I, I took this opportunity to run for city council because I've always wanted to run for office and, you know, work, started working, life happens. And so when I find myself um, um, no longer in the corporate area, um, I wanted to have purpose. I wanted to find purpose. And an opportunity came up to run. And um, I, well, there's several reasons I ran, not only because I've always wanted to, but I, after, um, Donald Trump was elected in 2016, I got a lot more involved in activism. So ACLU, Moms Demand Action, Ohio Poor People's Campaign. And what I found was that every one of these activist organizations needed to develop a relationship with a legislator. And I decided, why don't I become that legislator? And I want to champion um, subjects that are very important to women, livable wage, uh, mm-hmm. elder care. You know, women in my age group, we're sandwiched. We have our parents, we have our children. Yep. 
So elder care, I know there's a lot of focus on, on uh, child care, but um, I want to focus on some um, at-risk populations. And so, 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 so that's, that's where I'm going and, and how am I using my, my skill set? Well, because I know how to negotiate contracts because I worked all over the world and, and had to, and was successful across cultures, across languages. I can be successful on the city council with different people. I can make sure and, and, and I've championed myself and became um, successful. So I'll champion the citizens and I'll fight for them. So I, and, and I know how to do that. So that's how I'm I'm putting my skill set in there. Good well, luck. I would vote for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, this has been really illuminating, and I'm so sorry that we ran out of time. But Beth, Monica, thank you for spending time with us today. Gosh, it felt like it was five minutes. This, this is a great conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good luck with your golf this afternoon, too, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And Beth, those are some great organizations. Uh, let's Let's stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. I got your email. So, Great. okay. <laughs> Bye. Well, our, our guests today have been Beth Ballard and Monica Wilson. For more details about the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good campaign, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening.